Cards are getting a little bit ugly out there. Give them, give them all a cookie and make them settle down. A house in turmoil. I came to Brad's to see him with what can only be described as the symmetrical mumps. Mika wreaking havoc and uh, Crystal at her wit's end with the two of you. Mm-hmm. I myself conked out from a, from a nap that I did not need, but which was induced by the hockey game that I was watching. <laughs> it's, uh, and uh, Evan was surprisingly a late no-show for this episode. <laughs> We're all shocked. Uh, if Brad does sound a little off, uh, he did have all four wisdom teeth removed. Two of them were impacted. One of them uh, seems to be infected. You at least lost a stitch. Is that it? The I had definitely had a stitch fall out. I know because I held it in my hand because I was wondering what the hell that was. Um, and yeah, th- that was on the very, very impacted tooth. That was sideways, triple rooted, basically sitting on the nerve. The you know, the one I expected complications from, surprise, has complications. Mm. And so if in the middle of the episode, I just uh, am very quiet for about five minutes while I'm in blinding pain. Please forgive me. <laughs> you're, you're talking like you're keeping your jaw clenched. But other than that, you're I actually am, doing a wonderful job. I am actually keeping my jaw clenched <laughs> because uh, full range of mouth motion doesn't feel great right now. Remember when I got my uh, wisdom teeth removed, I was speaking a lot. And the dentist or the uh, the uh, the surgeon warned me to not, and my <laughs> my own mother warned me to not, and I was like, "Yeah, nothing can go wrong." And then I got very lightheaded, and I almost threw up, and so I stopped doing that. So you're this is actually impressive. Um, um, I've done very little talking over the last few days. To be fair, on the docket for today's Winged Wheel podcast, um, not Evan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking about the Red Wings, uh, and then we're going to dive a little bit into draft rankings this episode. Um, it might be the last time we get to really look at that for the next few weeks as the trade de- or like a few episodes as the trade deadline approaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, there's been some movement around the NHL. Anaheim made a move, you know, just on time. Uh, Philly and St. Louis seem to have maybe salvaged their season. There's been a lot to um, to kind of go over and cover. Um, yeah, plenty to talk about. Lots of overtime action this week, so uh, I'm sure we'll be able to tackle it all. As are you? Uh, are you considering what's in that Gatorade bottle? There's 34 grams of sugar in here. How the hell do people drink this? Yeah, it's not good. It's definitely Thir- not. 34 grams of sugar. Yeah, it's amazing. Everybody doesn't have diabetes. Oh, more people have diabetes than should you know. I work in a gym. Believe me, like half of the population has diabetes. But yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I get it now. The Red Wings um, have really, really solidified in a tough field their spot in the lose for Hughes lottery. There has been a lot, a lot of downward movement from the worst teams in the NHL. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, legitimately, Anaheim's losing streak got to what, 19 of their last 21 or something? They have lost 19 of 21. LA, they're down there. New Jersey's down there. Ottawa's still in the basement. Edmonton is, you know, within four points of them. From. Detroit in 30th to Philly in 19th is an eight-point separation. We are actually out-tanking everybody so we can say we're doing something right. Yeah, so Detroit uh, is currently sitting second last, 30th in the NHL. Only team behind them is Ottawa 
with uh, 47 points to Detroit's 49. But Ottawa does have a game in hand, and they have more ROW. So if Ottawa wins, if Ottawa wins, uh, Detroit retakes last spot. So um, Jesus. it's an interesting race to the bottom. Uh, but Detroit has had uh, some games. When was our last episode? Was it a Wednesday? Yeah, it had to have been a Wednesday. Yeah, it was a Wednesday because I had my teeth out on Thursday. Yeah. So uh, that was, yeah. So Detroit so lost to Vegas. They lost to Buffalo. And then just today, they lost to Chicago. All Chicago, all in regulation. The, One of those teams is good. Buffalo's not bad. <laughs> They're not in a playoff spot. They're close-ish, I think. Um, but yeah, the, the Vegas game was kind of... Whatever, that was a good game for Detroit. They played well. Rasmussen had a huge game. They just came up short. Yeah. Cool. Great tank game. The Buffalo game was boring as hell in the Chicago game. I refuse to believe those shots on goal were accurate. In the, the 43 shots or whatever it was. 43 45. to 38 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, no, that was not. I think Chicago counts everything that's just kind of directed towards the net because there's no way. Um. There were a lot of low quality scoring chances that game. Uh, if you count Abdelkader's two kicks at the net. <laughs> oh my God. My favorite part of the day, my favorite part of the week, really, was when Abdelkader's dad did not pick him for Light the Lamp. <laughs> he picked Anthony Manta. I always like, I like the uh, the fathers or like the bring your parents or bring important people in your life or bring the fathers day trip. Like that's always a blast. And Chicago must be a great game for them to go to. Like that's yeah. just a great atmosphere. And I think they're going to Nashville for the third game too, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So they know what they're treating them to. Yep. They timed it well. Yeah. Uh, Except for the Buffalo mixed in there, but yeah, well. two out of three ain't bad. It's for the drinking. Uh, the Vegas game was important for Rasmussen because it was really, I think, his best or one of his best all-around games this season. High quality scoring chances, you know, generating offense was present in pretty much every way on the ice. Kind of didn't have that invisible look to him that we sometimes see mm-hmm. or don't see. I suppose um, was really promising. Especially you know, we've had, we've had a lot of chatter uh, recently, um, a lot of overtime questions as well, kind of asking where Rasmussen is. So that was excellent to see. Uh, really, really, really promising game. Um, like you said, the perfect tank game. Like Detroit loss in regulation. Improved their lottery odds. Larkin got a point. They had, there were successes to be had from, you know, a lot of important players. Um, and then they didn't bother, they didn't like scrape out a point that would have hurt them in the lottery standings. True. And then again, then Rasmussen went back to having two very uneventful games, but it, it's good to just see mm-hmm. what he looks like when he's on. It Even watching the Chicago game today, you can tell his strength just isn't there. Was just not there yet. Um, with the wrist injury he had in juniors and the injury he had this year, you could tell he's just for his frame. He needs it's, the he, Gary Roberts workout plan. Honestly, he, he just needs a hell of a summer in the gym, doing basically nothing else but improving his strength. I really hope, and not just imply that they don't know this, but just as a fan, I really, really hope that's a point of emphasis for um, Detroit's player development program to to really push on him to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. Now that he's Hopefully healthy and should have a full summer of actual training because I don't remember the exact time frame of his injuries in junior, but I'm not opportune. No, no, they were not at. Well, you know better months. than I what wrist injuries are like. You don't. It's hard to even let go of those. Yeah, like you're gonna feel them forever. Oh, Shit, yeah. I I damaged my uh, the uh, ligament in my hand or tendon in my hand um, like 
not in sports and I felt it for I was out of the gym for four four and a half months it was funny the one the one convenient thing about the wisdom teeth thing is um, I re-aggravated an old sprained wrist last week and it, like it was still bad when I was going into my surgery but I've been on so many painkillers since the surgery I don't feel my wrist anymore <laughs> also you probably haven't been on the ice either not, not since Monday no yeah. oh Monday no and I'm so rattled because I wasn't planning on going to my game playing in my game tomorrow night mm-hmm. and the way so it's the last game of our regular season and we are the definition of like a mediocre team we're not bad we're we've been middle of the pack for like ever like we we lost by one goal in the semifinals last season and like that was like mm-hmm. pretty good season for us right and for whatever reason over the last six weeks my men's league team's just hit a hot streak we haven't lost since geez almost two months ago if you count ties um and last week, a team that only won one game all year beat the third place team. <laughs> so there's a scenario now where if we win tomorrow, we finish first. But you don't get to play. I might have to. <laughs> Do not play with your wisdom <laughs> teeth out. I'm going to let the doctors, when I go get checked up tomorrow, see what they say. Mm. But, uh, yeah, because our second leading scorer is also out with a fractured toe. So that timing was just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The Buffalo game, to get back to the Red Wings, the Buffalo game, like you said, was it was nice fest. It was, it was the uh, typical filler game on the Saturday sad album that is this season of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and then today's game against Chicago. Honestly, I always love Sunday games against Chicago because it's kind of reminiscent of, like, the mid to late 2000s. And even into the early 2010s, like how strong that rivalry became once Chicago became good again. Um, otherwise, kind of an up and get up and down game for Detroit. Uh, two pretty bad teams playing each other, and so God. And I, I cannot. Have we got an update on Bertuzzi. Why is he still out? Last I heard was a week ago. He's supposed to miss like those two games last weekend, and he's still even heard a single piece of news. Instead, we still get first line Justin Ablocator, which is just like an absolute anchor yeah. to Dylan Larkin and Gus Nyquist. Um, it, it's comical. Again, we, we've taken the last few episodes off bashing because people were saying it was getting old. And then I sent a tweet out um, kind of criticizing him, but pointing out that like, hey guys, like we have made an effort to like kind of back off a bit. And the overwhelming response is like, why? Because a few people said that you've been going hard on him. Most of the responses were like, you're not going hard enough. So now I'm like kind of trapped in the middle here, but God, these last two games against Buffalo and Chicago were just shining examples of why he shouldn't be on an NHL roster, let alone the first line. Let's do a, a play breakdown here. Um, high intensity, high scoring chance, uh, like set up in the offensive zone. The puck comes to the front of the net two different times. On the same sequence. On the same sequence. Uh, the Red Wings player in front of the net, instead of making themselves open or pushing off the defender that's covering them with his back to them so he has at least an open stick or, or, or blade for the person to pass to, or is just moving around, instead buries himself front to front with the defender, ties up his own stick, and tries to kick it in twice. Yep, so misses the net with the first pick, kick, puck comes back in front of the net, kicks it again. The the one like was kind of like a back heel, very impressive. It was, it was impressive. Like wouldn't have counted. No, don't know why you even try it. But um, yeah, it, his game against Buffalo too. That he had like a five minute sequence where he 
directly passed the puck to Connor Sherry, which led to Buffalo's first goal, and then took a very stupid penalty, which led to Buffalo's second goal. It's mm-hmm. just... I'm normally not a fan of long-term buyouts because it's like it's generally not worth it to have a guy sit on your cap for eight years, which I think is if we bought Ablocator out at the end of the season is how long he'd be on the cap for, I want to say it's about 1.75. Man, if Eisman comes back, he's got to consider it. It's He's not, not only is he not worth an NHL roster spot, in my opinion, anymore, the coach is misusing him on the first line, which again, that is not Abdulkader's fault. And it saves three mil on the cap space. You can easily replace him with a dude from Grand Rapids and use that three mil towards an Eric Carlson or a Tyler Myers contract. Um, Consider that your one roster spot that you have to fill with a low cost player, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's how you justify that one point. You you say. 850, 950, whatever minimum salary is, plus 1.75. And for the next however many years, that's what you have to be doing. I, I, I will comfortably sit here and say there is nothing overwhelming about the games of Jacob Della Rose or Christopher N or Darren Helm or Luke Lindenning, but they all do their job better than Advocator. They all play that, fill that role better than Advocator does. And they thing they all have in common, including Darren Helm, is they all cost a lot less than Justin that locator. Yeah. You know, we we do kind of because because of the way we, we talk about this team, which is A twice a week, uh B as avid fans, uh and C is just like we are getting down to the nitty gritty sometimes, um, in our hashtag deep dives, like we'll pick at like the Darren Helm contracts, the Luke Lindenning contracts, contracts that, you know, have virtues and also drawbacks and we talk about moving them the the level of impediment that those contracts show to the Red Wings' progress as a team and with their cap situation is a tenth of what Abdulkader's yeah. albatross does to this team. I hate Luke. I hated Luke Glendening's term when he got the contract, but for one point eight mil a year, yeah, okay, fine. You can justify his value there. Um, Darren Helm, I hate his term. I hate his cap hit. You can see him being a useful third and fourth liner. Um, and an above-average penalty killer. There is, like, if you break down all the things that Justin Ablocator is supposed to do, win board battles. Well, he doesn't do that. Um, produce net front. No, he we doesn't, saw today. He doesn't. Do he that. doesn't do that. Um, be great at killing penalties. Well, the stats say he's not great at that either. Even though that's a little more subjective. I just, I don't see any value to his game anymore. None. Not that can be replaced by like the again i'm just taking the most basic of cheap contracts on the Red Wings right now there is nothing just an applicator does better than christopher n at this point and christopher n at least has one element of his game which is above average which is speed again someone was even um tweeting about christopher n today like they appreciate his game like what do you guys all think and i'm like honestly i love his tenacity i love his defensive awareness he's got fantastic speed he has the offensive instinct of a stray dog that's more value and it's and he's 22 years old and he's making under eight hundred thousand dollars a year as well. perfect yeah those are the types of guys you fill in on your fourth line That's, that's absolutely what Detroit needs to be filling their fourth line with. Yeah, like a fourth line of Jacob De La Rose, Luke Clendenning, and Christopher N. That's a, that's a, that's an NHL fourth line. It's not great. They'll maybe get you, at best, 
at best 20 goals a season, but they're also not going to be a defensive liability. And these are all guys you can plug in on the PK to keep the Athanasius and the Manthas and the Larkins of the world rested. The problem is, I think on a, on a team, on a good hockey team, you have Christopher and you have Jacob De La Rose. I'm not saying on a good hockey. Sorry. Detroit has Christopher and Jacob De La Rose, Luke Lundenning, uh, Darren Helm, Justin Abdelkader, and any other, you know, guy who is used to who used to be a good offensive player however many years ago but has now passed the age of 30 whatever and is no is producing just like those fourth line grinders a good hockey team will have two of those guys on their roster at a time maybe three on their mm-hmm. active roster and detroit actively deploys three to five in a given game at oh, it's least clo- it's five like the whole fourth line right now minus rasmussen and then up the lineup you have abdicator helm and glenn denning it's uh yeah uh we keep talking about Helm. I saw a tweet from uh, Travis Yost where he was talking about I the saw. Buffalo game, and it was like uh, two or three times where Helm got uh, like generated this great offensive chance and got the puck point blank, and then just kind of did nothing with it. Like those are the like that's got to be a heartbreaker. I'm like, oh no, Travis, that's just a that, we call that a Wednesday for Darren. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the league is noticing now. Yeah, I love I do love Darren Helm. Uh, you're right in that he can be a very effective like. If Brian Boyle has value to a playoff team like Darren Helms, Luke Lindennings. Actually, let's talk about Luke Lindennings because the same uh, rumor that came about last year is kind of kicked up again, which is that Toronto's interested. And it's not going to happen unless Detroit takes contract back term because Toronto's cap situation isn't dire this year, but it is dire next year. Yeah. So I don't see how they make a Luke Glendening trade work unless Detroit, A, retains half his salary, which, again, based on their turn, I would do because if you're retaining half his salary, you're only got 900,000 on the books but 900,000 is a lot to the Maple Leafs right now um, um, but at the same time I don't I don't see it happening if it was going to happen it would happen last year while the Leafs had a lot more cap flexibility I I, I want to talk about a couple different things one Luke Lundetting as a player and two what this deal would look like because I've, I've seen some stuff on the Leafs Twitterverse and talking to some friends uh, but first Luke Lundetting as a player uh, we might joke, but Luke Lundenning, in his like his role as an energy guy, as a grinder guy who can sometimes surprise you with a cool backhand, but really just a guy you want for depth, for um, you know player who is he covering on Tampa Bay? Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, who shut like a shutdown player. Luke Lundenning, I would say, is in the upper third of players in that role in the league. It's just that that player has no value to a team that like loses all their games because they're a bad hockey team. That's a player that's effect- that's effective for like the Torontos, the uh Pittsburghs when they're making their cup runs, the Nashvilles. Like that's what for sure. Like Glenn Denning's a great asset. So the Red Wings fans were saying like no, like I I feel bad letting go of Glenn Denning. Like I don't blame them. Like he's a great guy to have and honestly like he's a fan favorite. So do I love that he's like he has that term? No. I don't think 1.8 is a crazy amount to be paying him. I don't love it, but like it's what that's hardly what's breaking this team. No. Luke Lundetting is a great asset to a lot of teams. He's a technically a good asset for the Red Wings, just not what they need, which is why I would be comfortable dealing him. Um, Detroit could very easily retain salary and get a pick back for a team who's interested, but Toronto, like you said, needs to give up a contract. I've heard a lot of Detroit gets Zaitsev, we get Glendening. Why would they say no? Because um, Detroit already has five Nikita Zaitsevs. They don't need one more. <laughs> yeah. With, with Zaitsev's got, what, five years left on his contract? Hard pass. Where, again, 
you look at something and nothing's ever black and white, but Toronto's looking for forward depth and they're looking for a right-handed defenseman. I don't know why they would not try to work a deal with Detroit for Glenn Denning and Jensen. It filled, They're looking to fill the fourth-line center spot, and they need a right-handed puck-moving defenseman. Detroit's a one-stop shop for them, and it wouldn't come at the smallest price because Detroit's probably asking a second for both players. Not saying that's what you're going to get. Jensen should get a second. Glenn Denning, eh, I'd be happy with a third or a fourth. But... I can see objectively Ken Holland going, no, Glenn Denning's a second and whatever. And Toronto's probably not going to give up two seconds, two years in a row for these two players. That's where you get creative. Uh, second round pick and Jeremy Bracco. Yeah. Uh, sure. Why not? Just pick a prospect. Timothy Lilligren straight up for both. Like, oh, God, yeah. You know, whatever whatever you got to do, just the thing is, get uh, creative. Their cap situation is tough, and it's not like Detroit has this. Well, I mean, they will, but you don't want to take away all of that cap. Like, nothing would be more disheartening for Detroit to finally have their first good turn uh, after a season ends in terms of generating like cap space through freed up contracts, and then have it tied up in Nikita Zaitsev for another six years. No, Detroit will take back a bad contract, but with at most a year and a half left on the contract. What's Patrick Marlowe's no movement clause. It's a full no move. It's a full no move. He ain't going anywhere. That's rough. Yeah, he wouldn't wave anyway because no, you're looking at like a par Lindholm or something like that. He makes under a mil. He's it's it's not a thing, you know. No, it would again. I'm not betting on this happening either way. No, no. I I genuinely think in a different cap situation. Glenn Denning would be a great asset for a Toronto run right now. Mm-hmm. For sure. Nick Jensen. Oh, man. If they landed Jensen, Muzzin, and Glenn Denning all in, in one trade window, mm-hmm. that's a fantastic boost to a team that is realistically just trying to do their best next to Tampa Bay. Yeah. And they they need to because mm-hmm. Tampa's got that depth. Um, <laughs> I had a Leaf fan tweet at me about um, Jen, what, like if you were a Leaf fan, would you prefer getting Jensen or Cron? I'm like, oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't know what the league isn't seeing. Cronwall isn't Cronwall anymore. Like it's, he's retiring. Like that's it. He's still a very, very, very smart hockey player, but all his physical tools are gone. Yeah, it's not, and it's not an indictment onto the guy. He's just old. He's worn it out. Happens. He played a very aggressive game. Like now, now there's rumors and reports coming out that they're going to extend him into next year, which is asinine. You know what? I I saw the source of some of those rumors, and I can understand how these things spread. But from, and I'm not. I'm not going to name names. Like I'm not going to just try to speak ill about anyone, but because I don't think this was the intention for it to blow up this way. But I think it was just conjecture on a on a on a radio show. Like I, I don't think so. it came from an inside source. I hope so because man, all pop, all legitimate like insider information up until this point has indicated that Cronwall's retiring. Yeah, and again, we talked about last episode. Cronwall approached Hall and said, "Please don't trade me this year." And I absolutely under, uh, respect Ken Holland's decision in granting that wish. But at the same time, if Cronwall's like, "Please bring me back next year, even for league minimum," I'd be like, eh, "No, wait, no." I you, we saw it today when he got burned. It wasn't even burned on the outside. It was just burned on a. It was just bur- handled bur- out, out around him by Dominic Cahoon. Right. It's not. <laughs> Again, like, Cronwell has been surprising with how effectively he's been able to switch up his game to really maximize the tools that he has left. He is, 
an all-time great Red Wings defenseman. Like, he's up there. Like, I'm not saying uh, number in the rafters, but, like, he'll never be forgotten by this generation of fans. Like, for sure, he's not – it's not like we're going to say, oh, Nick Cronwell's a problem of the last however many years. No, it's not that. It's just that he's 38 years old and not getting better. He played a very tough game. He's had a lot of rough injuries. Really, I was expecting him to go before Zetterberg. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just needs to be the passing of the guard at this point. The roster spots are more valuable than the cap space, really, for Detroit on defense. Cronwall should not, like, under no circumstance can a competent general manager bring back Nick Cronwall next year and think it's a good idea. No, because right now, even as the Red Wings are constructed now, I don't want to say the Red Wings have got lucky with injuries, but they've been lucky this year that they've not had all six of their veteran defensemen healthy at the same time. Or else they'd have to scratch Chalosky or scratch a veteran defenseman, which God knows they won't do. So if you want to have Chalosky and Hironik on this team full time next year, you have to free up two defensive spots. I'm not going to sit here and say which defenseman those should be. Trevor Daly and Jonathan Erickson's contracts both expire next summer. So trade candidates and or bio candidates. Cronwall and Jensen are both UFAs this summer. Green and DeKaiser are probably the only two guys on this team you actively want back next year. Maybe Jensen. I do not care, out of those bottom four defensemen, which two go, but two have to go. If Cronwell's like, yes, I want to come back, and you trade Nick Jensen at the deadline for something, cool. Then you have to trade daily, too. Just buy him out. Yeah, or buy him out. You need two spots available next year, and then you have to have... That way, when there's an injury or whatever, Hicketts is the first guy on your call list or Shulak is the first guy on your call list. It's Again, I'm not saying Hicketts or Shulak are going to be the guys that are going to move Detroit in the, in the right direction, but I saw a tweet. Um, I, forgive me, I forget who it was, and it was, it was poetry. The, the tweet basically said, I can't wait till the day NHL teams start playing young players who might be bad rather than playing old players who are bad. It is that is legitimately poetry. I wanted that tattooed on my back. Yeah. Under my ribs so I can post a, a, a racy Instagram photo of it. Like uh, just please for the why would you ever It's but, it's that's been Detroit for the past what 8 years? Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say if we got rid of Cronwall, Jensen, Daly and Erickson and then next year just rolled with Chalosky, Hironic, Hicketts and Shulak for the full season that the Red Wings would be good. No, that defense would be a dumpster fire next year. But get better. It might be better the year after that. And here's the thing though. Here's the crazy thing. It might not be worse. It might be but it might not be. We've seen uh, we've seen players fill vacuums uh, when there has been the need. Like you look at the way Chalowski stepped up when all of Detroit's defense was injured, uh, having exactly zero NHL games under his belt before that point. He was huge. Gus Nyquist is having one of his best offensive seasons in his career without Henrik Zetterberg, without Pavel Datsuk, without Johan Franzen without a lot of the key pieces that he's used to working with. Give the players a chance. Uh, the notion that this iteration of the Red Wings or any pieces of this iteration of the Red Wings that aren't the young studs are going to be key in any kind of victory, broadly speaking, or individual games, is so 
out of touch and just desperately grasping on to what was in the past that it's kind of baffling. It's, you know what? I, I equate this, I'm going to dive into a tweet, or I'm, I'm going to divert to a tweet that I sent out today. It's kind of like what's going on in Edmonton. There's all this like mysticism and like what's going on. It's a culture thing. It's bigger than just hockey and like the fans. And we had we went through the era of Gretzky. No, bad management made bad decisions, which led to a bad hockey team comprised of a lot of bad players. That is it, plain and simple. There's nothing else to it. And it's kind of the same thing with Detroit. Bad contracts given to bad players. Tying management's hands leading to bad outcomes. Like, and yeah, it's hard to admit that when not so long ago Detroit went to back to back Stanley Cup finals, and in 2013, which was really the first year in that downward decline, it's just ha- it just so happened that Detroit got that boost from Danny DeKaiser towards the end of the season. Um, and Nyquist. And Nyquist. Um, in 2013, they, they brought the eventual Cup champions to down 3-1 in this series as underdogs. And so people feel like this this wasn't happening for as long as it is, but this isn't new. This didn't start in 2018. This did not start in 2017. This started in like 2011, 2012. Like that's when this all started. It's not it was it was the price we paid for trying to keep the streak alive. Yeah, yeah. It was some of it is just the natural course of the way organizations go, and some of it was just a, you know, a hair too far or a step too far or a mile too far and trying to hang on to the past. Yeah. Um, I know I, I just got kind of deep there, but yeah. I was, I'm also trying to save you from talking too much. That helps. <laughs> I appreciate it. But also, and again, we circle back to Ken, a lot of Ken Holland's recent statements where he's like, I want this team to be competing for a playoff spot next year, which I'm not going to sit here and say is that crazy of a reality. There have been a lot of teams lately who have turned it around very quickly. But here's the thing that I think Ken Holland's missing. Look at all those teams that turned it around very quickly. It was on the backs of the youth. It was because their teams changed over the summer. They jettisoned. Again, I'm not sitting here saying we need to re-sign all the UFAs. We might. There's there's value in re-signing one or two of them. Sure, whatever. Yada yada yada. All I'm saying is this team has to look different next year. And but when I say different, I do specifically mean younger. Yep. I'm all for this team being as good as they are on the ice. But the only way I see this team competing for a playoff spot is if uh, they do exactly what you just said and they land a Capocaco or Jack Hughes and they get a lot of good puck luck. That's it. If they, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was a mistake to not tank in the Alexi Lafreniere year. No, because what are you going to do? Intent, tell your team to go out and lose? That's not the way, that's not what tanking is. This team is has start to, started to fill the pieces of the young core of the future. By no means is that done, and by no means is it being close to complete. But if a lot of good things happen over the summer, and which makes the team better, yeah, fine. Try and win as much as you can. What are you going to tell those young guys out? Don't know, don't do it. We need to try and land Alexi Lafreniere. No, it's not the way. Uh, it's not the way. I'll, find me a single NHL player right now who gives a damn about getting Jack Hughes on their team next year. None. It's. Uh, it's this it's this misconception with people who are against the idea of being okay with losing for a better pick next year. No, none of this is fun. None of this is fun as fans to watch. It is like I was out there thinking, man, I lo- as much as I will harp on the bringing back Mike Green and the way that whole thing was handled, I love having him on the Red Wings um, right now because of the offensive chances he generates. And at the same time, he has like a tragic giveaway that nearly leads to a goal. Like that's the kind of hockey we're, we're looking at right now. We're not out of the weeds. 
there's a path forward. And I think that's a lot more than could have been said two to three years ago because well, I, I they didn't did, even know they were in the weeds then. I was just I was just screwing around with the roster today, and I sent out a tweet um, projecting what the Red Wings forward group should look like in two years without even signing a free agent. And boy, does it look good. Like, assuming, again, with the way this draft is shaping up, they're going to take a top six forward. You're looking at a team through literally no additions other than that one draft pick. No free agents at all. That could look like Mantha, Larkin, Athanasiu, Zadina, let's just say Kirby Doc for likelihood's sake. Zadina, Kirby Doc, Michael Rasmussen, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, Joe Valeno, Evgeny Svechnikov, Ablocator, Helm, Glenn Denning, Christopher is your 13th four. That's your forward group in two years without even improving anything. That's not to say they don't land a Duchesne or a Panarin or a Stone or a guy like Berggren develops a little quicker than we thought. This is the absolute most conservative projection of what that team can look like, and that forward group looks good. That's not bad at all. Don't get me wrong. The defense is still going to be a tire fire short of a miracle, but there may be something in the works to put the Red Wings a step farther forward or further forward than they anticipated. Not a miracle, but McIsaac continues to look great. He's got like 43 points in 37 games now. If the Red Wings hit on McIsaac and they get a solid second pairing guy. Lindstrom's looking all right over in Europe. That's a lot. Like Cholosky, Hironik, McIsaac, one of Lindstrom or whoever else. The, it's not. That's not a bad top four. D- Detroit's shaping up to be that team. That's going to be a good case study in can you win with depth as your strength. Because even by that one article Dom uh, Lucician and Max Boltman put out a couple weeks ago where they were projecting Detroit three years down the road, yeah, they had a couple holes like at the top end of the roster, but like the depth on that lineup was better than most contending teams. I still stand by the fact that you need at least one superstar. Oh, you for sure need a. I think but, you need a superstar st- center before anything. And and Detroit doesn't have that. No. Um, that being said, they. If you're ever gonna hit, this is the draft where you're gonna hit because again, the top six to eight, depending on how you rank this, are almost all forwards, and most of them are centermen. Last year's draft was very light on centers. This one's very heavy, which we're gonna get to soon. It might happen. It very well might happen here. I think if Detroit lands Jack Hughes this year. If Detroit lands Jack Hughes this year, I'm 2021 playoffs. Uh, anything less would be unacceptable. If Detroit lands Jack Hughes and Zadina turns into the score he was drafted to be. Even 80% of the score he was drafted. We're talking Detroit is a number two defenseman away from being like a good team. Yeah. Some assuming other Jimmy Howard holds up. Yeah, assuming some other pieces hold in place, like that's a lot to ask for. What we just named is a lot and usually takes teams years to compile. But what we're basically the long-winded way, what we just said in a really long-winded way is this puzzle has already been started and the pieces are there. Yeah, someone's trying to smash Play-Doh in the shape of just an applicator in between the empty spots because they think the puzzle piece doesn't exist. Yeah. But who knows who's going to be in control of the puzzle in a year. Uh, moving on. Hopefully, Quenville and Iserman. Uh, moving on. Do you want to do draft rankings first? Yeah, let's do. Draft How's your mouth feeling? Mouth up. Brad's mouth update, which is the most disgusting thing I've ever said out loud. It's not great, Bob. <laughs> 
All right, uh, I'm going to predict your top three. You are going to start with Jack Hughes. How, how deep do you want me to go? Because I've got one through 31 here. Do one through 31. Okay. I'm, I'm, only, I'm only going to give rationale behind the top 15 or else this will take two hours. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll just read off in order after that. Jack Hughes. Yep. Apocaco. Yep. Vasily Podkolzin. I know. I went way off the board there. Yeah. 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 Jack Hughes because reasons. Uh, Capo Caco because other reasons. I don't think I need to dive into any of those. Um, if you don't know who either of those players are or anything about them, you haven't been paying close enough attention. <laughs> um, I have Vasily. Most uh, rankings I've seen have seen have Vasily Podkolzin three, but not all. Um, I think he's a pretty clear cut number three in my mind. Um, just because his dynamic skill is off the charts. He's a good skater, elite hands, elite shot, high-end hockey IQ, and he is competitive. He's not one of those guys like an Alex Kovalev who just relies on his skill. This guy will run through you and your entire family if it means getting the puck to the net. So I'm I'm a huge Pod Colson fan. I know some people have pointed to his MHL um, stats not being great, which does leave me with a a touch of doubt in my head. But when you look at all his production from tournaments with his peer group, he dominates every tournament. The Halinka, the U18s, he dominates. So um, which again are all the kids he's up against in the draft. So I'm not mega concerned about that. Uh, number four, um, you know, still going way off board. I have Kirby Doc, mm-hmm. um, big centerman from Saskatoon, Saskatoon. <laughs> um, without getting into details, his foot speed and um, the pace he plays at leaves me with pretty big concerns. Hence, why I think there's a pretty big gap between three and four in this draft. But he's so smart and he's so skilled. I think that that will come. He, when watching Kirby Doc, he reminds me a lot. Of Ryan Getzlaff. And I generally don't like making player comparisons other than just to give people an idea of what a player plays like stylistically. This is a little more than that. I like Kirby Doc really does look like Ryan Getzlaff to me. Um, and I should also note as I go here, and feel free to throw in your opinions at any point, Ryan. Um, I have basically no gaps between four and ten on this list. That's what I was just going to say. Is like, I've got a pretty clear-cut number three, and then everybody from four to ten, I think, is interchangeable. I think Cousins, Doc, Krebs, Byram, Turcotte, Boldy, Lavoie all come up. Well, I I don't have two of those guys in my top ten, so... Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, then keep going. Take a guess. Who do you think I left off? Um, I think maybe Turcotte you left off, and you left off Lavoie. You're 50% correct. You left off Turcotte. I'm not telling you which one. Ah, we're gonna find out. Dun dun. You have tune Cal- in next week for. You have Kaliev in your top ten. I do not. Ah, it's like I don't even know you. Okay, number five again. Oh, I know who not, it is. Not straying too far from the script here, Dylan Cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two players that I I really really the two players behind him at different points over the last 24 hours I actually had ahead of Cousins, but. Cousins' just raw tools were too good for me to pass up on. I have questions about his hockey IQ. Um, I don't love it, but he's an elite skater with an elite shot, and that's that's enough. That's worth the gamble. Um, and it's not that he's 
poor at the other end aspects of the game, but they're not top five pick worthy. Like he's not that good of a playmaker. He doesn't have that good of hockey IQ. But like I said, that's it's it's not bad. So it's enough that coupled with his skating and his shot, he's probably a top five talent still. Number six, I've got Bowen Byram. Um, He's putting up Chalosky type numbers in the WHL, except he's doing it at a point when he was two years younger than what Chalosky was doing in the WHL. Mm-hmm. That's not nothing. Um, Byram again, that it, very much in the mold of Chalosky, where when you watch him, there's nothing particularly flashy about his game, but just a smart, smooth skating, puck moving defenseman with good offensive instinct. So if you like Dennis Chalosky on the Red Wings now. Imagine he was two years younger. Um, number seven, I put Peyton Krebs. I And like I said, I had at different points while making these rankings, I had Byram and Krebs both ahead of Cousins. Krebs, I love his hockey IQ and I love his motor. Um, he's 5'11", whereas Cousins and Doc are both monsters. I don't care about that, but to me the difference between them is when all three of them, and I'm talking about the centermen here, Doc, Cousins, and Krebs, are on their game, there's not any difference between them. Yeah. They're all equally productive. Uh, it's just on Krebs's bad games, he tends to disappear more. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he has a lot of them. He's probably got the... Him and Pod Colson probably are the two most competitive guys in this draft. So it's not a super huge concern I have with Krebs. But it's enough that it keeps him behind the other guys for now uh number eight the second defenseman of the draft philip broberg does not have the hockey iq that bowen byram does but he has better physical tools than byram does he's a better skater he's got a better shot he's more dynamic but as anybody who's been listening to this podcast knows for long enough hockey iq is my go to it's the first trait i look for in any player whether or not i think they're going to translate to be a good nhl player mm-hmm. broberg does not have poor hockey iq but it's not at byram's level in my opinion yet again these are my first rankings like uh, a lot of i've been watching a little bit of all these guys since i've been off for the last three days and for a lot of them it was my first view full viewings on a lot of them so take that for what it's worth but everybody in the top 10 i've had enough viewings of now that i've got a pretty good gauge um, number nine, Trevor Zegris, the big center from the USN TDP. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if he wasn't playing on, if Jack Hughes wasn't on his team right now, he'd be getting all the attention. Again, big offensive smart center. Hockey IQ, hockey IQ, hockey IQ. It's what I want to see. Zegris has it. Number 10, Alex Turcott. Okay. Alex Turcott. He was a little trickier because he's missed a lot of time this year. Um, but in the limited viewings we've had of him, I am impressed. He's, he plays with pace. He plays with a high hockey IQ. He's got terrific puck skills. Again, everything you want to see from a top-end center. Incredibly reliable as well, which is, yep. if you're looking at a centerman prospect, yeah, the volatility not being there is comforting. And for what it's worth, there one, two, three, four, five, six centers in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Which spell? It's a that's good for Detroit. Six centers and two defensemen, yeah. which means the way the draft lottery is going to fall, Detroit is absolutely going to be picking second or third to get oh, yeah. Kako or Pod Colson. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm 
perfectly okay with those scenarios for what it's worth. Just it's the same thing that happened last year. It was such a defensive heavy draft. We were fully certain Detroit was getting a defenseman, and then we end up with Philip Zadina. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm. This is why I know Detroit's picking second or third. Uh, like it's <laughs> undoubtedly going to happen. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Going on it. So, who is it that you had in the top ten that um, I did not there? It was Lavoie and Boldy. Oh, you didn't put Boldy in there. That's I right. I did not have Boldy in there. Number eleven. None of those guys. Ryan Suzuki. Oh. Okay. Another. I believe he's a centerman for the Barry Colts. Nick's younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he passes the buck more than I'd like. It's not a bad thing. He's an elite playmaker, but he's got to utilize his shot every once in a while. Otherwise, he tends to get a little too predictable. Very smart hockey player, though. I think he's a little better than his brother, and his brother's pretty damn good. So, again, pretty high ceiling there. Number 12. Still don't have any of those guys. Cam York. Cole Caulfield. Okay. Okay, so he's he's one of the more divisive prospects in the draft because he is 5'6". Mm-hmm. On a U.S. NTDP team that features Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegras, Alex Turcott, Matt Boldy, Cam York, Cole Caulfield leads him in goals. This guy is the second coming of Alex Dabrinkit. He's very, very good at one thing in the game of hockey. Scoring goals. And he does it well. Everybody missed the boat on Alex Dabrinkit. Chicago got him what? 36th overall in that one yeah, draft. they got him late. And he's going to put up well over 30 goals this year. And he's playing, now that they have him playing with Strom, yeah. the only the only piece that's missing from that line from Erie is Connor McDavid, but I don't <laughs> think you're going to acquire him anytime soon. Yeah. People are not going to make the same mistake with Cole Caulfield this year. If he slips out of the top 15, I'll be disappointed. If he slips out of the top 20, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Production, 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 production. So, speaking of goal scorers... And being very one-dimensional players. Number 13, Arthur Kaliev. If you want to know what type of game Arthur Kaliev plays, while it's a good thing you're a Red Wings fan listening to a Red Wings podcast because you've seen enough of Anthony Mantha to know. That is Arthur Kaliev. Big, smooth, skilled, not the most intense player in the world, but knows how to score goals, and the raw tools are there. Better playmaker than he gets credit for, great offensive awareness, but has all the same flaws that Anthony Mantha does. So that's Arthur Kaliev. Number 14, now we get to Matt Boldy. Mm. Matt Boldy, again, is he's a goal scorer. That's his thing. When it comes down to players like this, I look at production more than anything else, and to me it just came down to Caulfield and Kaliev have impressed me more. Okay. They're the same type of player. There's Bold, some contention Bold, there. A lot of people do think Boldy's going I've higher. Seen, I've seen Boldy as high as number three. I don't like the satellite parts of his game enough to put him up there. Hmm. Um, that being said, though, Boldy is a boomer bust prospect. This is a guy who could potentially put up 30 to 40 goals in the NHL on the regular. Yeah. He absolutely can be. But there's a lot of, I feel there's a lot of risk with him. So, just me. I've had, uh, admittedly, while I've been watching the USNDDP, Boldy has not been my primary focus point. Yeah, funny enough. Weird, right? But um, I've seen enough of them. 15, we're going to stay with the USNTDP. Spencer Knight. Okay. I don't know if I've ever ranked a goalie near this high. But when uh, I'm not great at judging goalies, admittedly, it's not one of my strengths, but so I've done a lot of deferring and reading on what other scouts are saying about Knight and a lot of them seem to think this guy 
uh, might have a higher ceiling than John Gibson. That's enough to sell me. If you can get a franchise goalie in the middle of the first round, again, this is also, I kind of used Spencer Knight as my grocery stick of this draft. Everybody that I put above him, I think, has legitimate star potential. They have that talent level that they can be perennial NHL All-Stars. Everybody below, eh, I'm not sold. It's going to take a a lot's going to have to go right for them to be anything more than like a second, third line or second pairing defenseman. Everybody I've already rattled off first line, first pairing defenseman. Definitely possible. Yeah. Okay, let's just rattle off from 16 through 31. Okay, 16, Cam York, defenseman, USNTDP. 17, Swedish defenseman, Victor Soderstrom. 18, Halifax forward, Raphael Lavoie. 19, uh, Peterborough forward, Nick Robertson. And for the record, I know I have him way higher than most people. I I know. Uh, 20, London forward, Connor McMichael. Uh, 21, Moncton forward, Jacob Pelche. Uh, 22, Edmonton Oil Kings defenseman Matt Robinson, Robertson. 23, Mississauga defenseman Thomas Harley. 24, German defenseman Moritz Seider. 25, Swedish forward Nils Hoaglander. He's 5'9". Hmm. Um, 26, uh, Victoria forward Alex Newhook. 27, uh, USHL forward, I can't remember his team off the top of my head now, Bobby Brink. Uh, 28, Niagara forward, Philip Tomasino. Uh, 29, Russian forward, Pavel Dorofiev. Uh, 30, two-time overager, Prince Albert forward, Brett Leeson. And 31, uh, God, what team does he play for in the Quebec League? I didn't write down the teams here. Samuel Poulin. I don't have Poulin in front of me. Okay. Yeah, there we go. I want to say Shaku to me. Well, we joked. Uh, someone joked. They said or Ramuski. I can't. If remember. Brad talks for like eight minutes straight without taking a breath, and I was like, I think he came close last episode. This episode, Brad, I, I did a terrible job as your mm-hmm. uh, as your fellow host here. I honestly was not doing it to laugh at you or put you in pain. I was actually really impressed, and you're on a roll. So <laughs> my mouth hurts a lot. Yeah, I bet it does. So I'm going to take it from here. You take a rest. Switch that those 34 calories of sh- or 34 grams of sugar in your Gatorade around. Um, we're obviously going to get back into the draft rankings. That's all we're going to talk about at a certain point in the season. Uh, but for now, let's talk about uh, Randy Carlisle. Finally, finally was fired uh, after 18 or 19 losses in the past 21 games for the Anaheim Ducks. He is burnt toast. Uh, yeah. Some people will get that joke. Others will not. Nearly every hockey fan who isn't just like a very casual hockey fan should get that. Should. Um, Bob Murray, executive vice president, GM, and now head coach uh, will be taking over in the interim. Important to note that Bob Murray has zero professional hockey coaching experience. So you might be saying, why is he doing this? Apparently, uh, the minor team, the minor league affiliate, which is guy San Diego, San Diego Gulls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing great. Dallas Eakins is doing great there. They don't want to pull him up in the middle of a season. And also Bob Murray wants to assess what the team has closely, which is a bizarre thing because he should be able to do that as general manager. This will inevitably go poorly, but I don't think it's a long-term solution. I think it's just they want to, uh, instead of bringing Dallas Eakins up right away, 
take some time, step away from all of this. I don't think they're going to try to make a push to salvage the season and get to the playoffs. They're just going to let it ride. What happens, happens, hap- hap- what happens, happens. And uh, they're, they're going to make sure whatever coach they hire is their coach for the future. If it's Dallas Eakins or whoever else. I still think it's pretty unconventional for Bob Murray to be a head coach when he's never done it. It's he, not like an easy thing. He wants Jack Hughes. Yeah, he certainly does. Um, Randy Carlisle took way too long to fire, right? That that was insane. All the red flags were there from Anaheim at the beginning of the season. Very much like a previously coached Randy Carlisle team, the Toronto Maple Leafs from years back, when they had that all right start to that one season, everybody's like, yeah, but your goaltending's going out of playing out of their mind right now. You're actually a terrible team, allowing a record number of shots which we talked about at that point. I remember this distinctly when Anaheim was getting outshot almost two to one every night. And we're like, Hey guys, yeah, they're near first right now. That's not going to last. And it didn't certainly did not. And as soon as uh, John Gibson um, started playing like a human, Mm -hmm. the ducks started losing a lot rapidly. 10 games into the street. Carlisle should have been gone. At, a, at at the latest, the, you you they've had case to let him go at any point this season, even when they were winning. If you really wanted to break it down, but I understand you're not going to fire your coach while you're winning, despite how fluky it was. Well, it may have been the best decision Bob Murray ever did, because this might have got them Jack Hughes. They are very seriously in the running. Talking about two teams who. We were confused about why they were doing poorly. Seemed to have clawed their way back, starting with St. Louis, currently in a wild card spot. The first wild card spot. Not even the second, because Minnesota is also bad. Um, the Western Conference is everybody below the sixth seed in the West right now is hilariously terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, across the board. Minnesota, garbage. Um, well, sorry, St. Louis is playing well now, so below them. Minnesota, garbage. Arizona, Edmonton, Chicago, L.A., Anaheim, garbage, garbage, garbage. Colorado has the worst record in the NHL over the last 15 games somehow, despite Anaheim being a thing. Like, it's it's hilarious how trash the Western Conference is right now. There's I've a, never seen this. That grocery stick that you talked about could be applied to both conferences where it's just like the top half of the league is doing great and the bottom half of the league is like abysmal. Except that grocery stick in the East is at seed 10. <laughs> yeah. Not 6. Well, the uh, the other team is Philly, who was a very much in the Jack Hughes race, has really turned it around as of late. 9-0-1 their last 10 on the back of Carter Hart, who's been told that he's going to be staying up with the team full-time. No shit. Yeah. Um, kind of one of those things that everyone on the outside was saying, if you have goalie problems and you have a star goalie, why not just bring him up a little early? How much worse can it get? <laughs> if it goes poorly, you can always send it back. And let's circle back to the beginning of the episode. I can't wait for the day NHL teams play players who might be bad, young players who might be bad, rather than playing old players who are bad. Philly caught on. It might have been too little too late since they're still six points out of a playoff spot. But nine days ago, they were 15 points out of a playoff spot. Hmm. So thank you, Carter Hart, for taking one more team out of the Jack Hughes sweepstakes. 
The well, it feels like three teams took their place. Um, Philly, <laughs> it, wrong. Philly runs a rate where they have a much lower chance of uh, making the playoffs, but also of getting that that lottery pick because it's uh, they're three spot. They're six points and three spots out of the wild card. Um, Buffalo, Carolina, uh, in front of them, who are all are both also not in Pittsburgh and Montreal. Seven or six and the hell twelve points ahead. Yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre. The Metro, I guess, will be filling up both spots in the wild card, likely. Or sorry, um, the Metro will be filling up the second wild card spot as it looks right now. I'm just looking at this and I'm looking at Tampa Bay. And I'm like, geez, they just give them the Presidents Trophy right now. It's hilariously. Um, side, my my first tangent of the episode. Now that you mentioned Tampa Bay. Listen, Tampa, I understand that this hockey thing in this season is way too easy for you guys, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can just start showing up to games in your pajamas. Oh, my God. It is so painfully obvious that whoever they have designing these third jerseys is not like so too many people in the approval and designing process are not hockey fans. You know me. People who listen know me. I'm not rooted in tradition and legacy and the old ways of doing Like, that's not what I value generally in life. Like, I, I think that's a silly way to think and it impedes progress. But one time where I will hang on to tradition and heritage and, um, you know, old school ways of doing things is hockey jerseys. At least value it or pay homage to it or look to it for influence or to see what worked. Eh, I'm okay with being weird with third jerseys, but... But uh, this is bad. That's this just ain't a it. bad jersey. They're terrible. They it's get, a cool sweater for a fan to own. Like, as a... I'm not talking hockey sweater. I'm like just talking like, like a hoodie. It's just a, and for anybody who hasn't seen him, it's just a plain black jersey and the sleeves kind of fade to gray. Gradient to gray. Why? It's bad. And the God. thing is, too, up close, these jerseys look terrible. And the numbers aren't white. They're gray as well. And so watching the game on TV, I turn this on to see how bad these things are. From the camera angle, you can't tell anything. It looks like a black jersey with great with slightly less black numbers. It's they're terrible. You have a cool logo, you have a name, there's so much to be done there and that's the best Adidas could come with. I hate everything about Tampa's uniforms, third jerseys and regular. They had cool really a really cool logo and really cool jerseys before and they went and screwed it up. I'm all for I I don't mind their new logo. I think this simplified version works. It's all right. I preferred the old one. I think they should have gone with something similar to the old one for, you know, lightning bolts in your on the armpits when you raise your hands <laughs> to celebrate a goal. Like, do something cool. Do something fun. No more armpit designs, okay? Have, we've seen Ottawa's jerseys enough. Yeah, I just... These are bad. These are bad. You know what? I maybe shouldn't pin this jersey on all modern takes. You're right. Like, that's unfair of me. But this is bad. It's terrible. So, anyways, back to um, the East playoff race. So, Montreal and Pittsburgh are currently holding down the uh, two wildcard spots. Montreal having a... a great over like season well above anyone's standards i've decided that i'm cheering for montreal for the rest of the season for no other reason than i desperately desperately want them to finish ahead of boston because i desperately desperately want to see a toronto montreal first round matchup oh that'd be fantastic i need this in my life i also think toronto fans would want that they need to a more not that montreal would be an easy opponent by any means i, I don't want to play carry price ever if i'm a team who needs to score goals but they block Boston just has their number. Yeah. Boston is a bugaboo, you know, like they're to face them in the first round would be 
probably as bad as facing Tampa Bay, honestly. <laughs> if you're Toronto, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so with that and in, in preservation of what's remaining of your teeth, actually, let's dive into it. Oh, yeah, and I just wanted to circle back to a question I think we had last episode. Was it last episode we had the um, the question, who is the most underrated player in the league, or was that two episodes ago? That was a little while ago. A little while ago? Okay. Because I, I was thinking about it the other day while I was off, and I had the most obvious answer, and I didn't think of it on the spot, and I f- would feel guilty if I didn't go back and say it. Mm-hmm. Mika Zibanejad. He is unreal, and nobody talks about him because the Rangers aren't good. No, that's a great answer to that. Mika Zibanejad is a star, and nobody knows it. Anyways, just wanted to throw that in. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, We're going to head over to our overtime discussion, uh, which, of course, means that you're going to hear comments, questions, clips right out on air, guaranteed uh, from our patrons, uh, those who support the show, uh, really are the lifeblood of what we do. Um, this is our way of thanking them. So we're going to start with Jethro E, who says, "How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could tell Brad to shut up?" <laughs> Brad can't chuck much wood right now. Uh, also, I'm going to the Wing Sens game. Is this likely the best tank battle of the season? Oh boy, is it ever! In Let's the face it. of Anaheim, in the face of LA, in the face of Edmonton, Detroit and Sens are where the true battle is is at in my mind. Uh, It's going to be a depressing hockey game. Yes. The Niebler says, hey, boys, there have been a lot of rumors going around that the Red Wings will be active with offer sheets this offseason. Do you believe Kenny would even do that? The few names that keep coming up are Braden Point, Kyle Connor, Jacob Truba, and Kasperi Kapanen. Are are any of these players worth offer sheeting, and how much would you be willing to give up? Mm, Are these players worth offer sheeting? Yes. Are they worth offer sheeting if you're Detroit and likely going to be picking in the top 10 for the next couple of years? No. Yeah, that's my problem. Like... No, you you'd have to pay so much for Braden Point, you know? You're giving up at least three first round picks for what he would cost. Just think that could very well be Lafreniere plus plus. Yeah, th- and no, that that's what no, gets me. No, no chance I'm doing that. Uh Garrett TV says, Hey boys, by the time or while you read this, I may be watching the Wings Hawks game live in Chicago. So after, uh, as is the case for the over a decade I've been going to these games since moving to Chicago, I expect to hear a lot of chirping. So Wings Hawks brings me two questions. One, what's the worst chirping you've ever experienced at a sporting event? Let's go, Abdulkader! Or come on, Abdulkader! Um, worst one I ever heard. So it's funny on two fronts. So if everybody remembers, I want to say it was the 13-14 season when the Leafs had that epic eight-game losing streak that dropped them from, like, fifth in the conference to out of the playoffs. And I was at the eighth game of that eighth-game losing streak in Toronto against Detroit. It was the game where Detroit beat Toronto on the back of a Darren Helm hat-trick on the career yeah. that leapfrogged Detroit from ninth into eighth and then dropped Toronto out of the playoffs. I got chirped a ton at the beginning of the game, and as soon as Detroit took the lead, it was crickets the rest of the game. Just a fan base that didn't care anymore. And I got one chirp in the bathroom (laughs) while I was taking a piss, and I was wearing my Lidstrom jersey. And a guy goes, Lidstrom, eh? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, bet you miss him. And I'm like, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's, That's your chirp? Sure do. <laughs> Good one, champ. Hang uh, in there, buddy. Uh, I know mine wasn't actually a chirp. It's kind of hard. It's mostly just 
dumb people in the drunk section. Anyways, uh, second question is, do we really think there's any reason to believe that Quenville would be a solution in Detroit? Yeah, he's had a history of success, but he's very much the same of the same ilk as Babcock. And while he was present for a huge success in Chicago, one could argue that just about anyone could have had could have been successful when taking over a team with Kane, Taves, Keith, all entering their prime, plus hosts of Sharp Seabrook. The Wings do not have that talent, and I question that Quenville could drum it up. Also, Randy Carlisle just got fired somewhat, restoring my faith in hockey humanity. Yes, Quenville is a lot like Babcock, and Mike Babcock won a Stanley Cup with Detroit. Um, he did not take over with Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane in their prime. He took over while they were rookies. Um, yes, Detroit does not have uh, Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Taze, but they do have a Philip Zadina, a Joe Valeno, and potentially a Jack Hughes. So I would say Detroit is in a near identity, depending how this draft goes. If Detroit gets the first overall pick, they're in almost the exact same position as Chicago was back in 2007. So I'm, I think Quenville's still the right choice. Uh, Evan Beckner says, I tweeted this to Brad earlier, but I'm sure Tankathon is not a draft simulator, simulator, but in fact, a Detroit nightmare generator. In the countless times I've run it, Detroit falls at least two spots over 85% of the time. Colorado winning the lottery and getting the first and second overall generates more frequently than Detroit moving up just one spot. The lottery system is stupid. Let's do a tankathon right now. I have it queued up. Three, <laughs> two, one. And Detroit got bumped down two spots to fourth. Florida won it. New Jersey second. And Colorado with Ottawa's pick in third. You're right. This sucks. Kirby Doc. Um, KWAS says, what's up, guys? It's been a while since I commented. Learning a f- learning the fly takes some time. Speaking of that, uh, I've done two solo flights, one with aerobatics. That's awesome. Uh, back to hockey. I was peering at the Wings player stats yesterday, and Dylan Larkin has to score only seven more goals to reach 30 in 28-ish games to go. I think he can get there. Quick, no looking. Who and when was the last 30-goal scorer for the Red Wings? 2009, Johan Franz and Marian Hossa. Yeah, we remember. Fight me. We remember. Uh, and Larkin has been uh, able to do this with absolutely horrid defense. I wonder what he could be capable capable of with a true number one defenseman behind him. <laughs> true number one defenseman. I wonder what he's capable of not spending three quarters of his season with Darren Helm and or Justin Ablocator. Yeah, I think getting him a scoring winger would be even better. Every time Blashill bumps Athens to see you, up with Larkin and Nyquist for a shift, they never leave the offensive zone. <laughs> the, the Datsuk also hit 30 that season. Did he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And did yeah, Zetterberg yeah, did. finish with like 29 or something? He was close, yeah. Um, uh, also, what do you guys think Larkin's ceiling is? Like, true, everything goes well, like, he hits on all points, keeps progressing, like, gold standard, he becomes a good number one center in the NHL. 82 and 82. Point per game player. Yeah. That's his true ceiling. Uh, answer to the... Th- oh, he put the answer to the 30-goal question. Hosa, 40. Franzen, 34. Datsuk, 32. Zetterberg, 31. Okay, so oh, he so did. Zetterberg yeah. did hit it. Hmm, wow. All I had four. the two. I had the two leading scores. Uh, Marissa says, what's the best animated Disney movie of all time? Oh. Does Disney Pixar count? Does it? If Disney Pixar counts, no, it I will, doesn't count. It doesn't I will count. die in a hill for Finding Nemo. No, it doesn't count. It's got to be like true Disney Disney. Oh, then it's The Lion King. It's 100% The Lion King. Wait, is The Lion King Disney Pixar? No, Disney, that's Disney Disney, man. If you had it in a VHS, it's probably not Pixar. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yep, yep. I, it's The Lion King. If but let's include Pixar. I will, I will die fighting for Finding Nemo. Is, is Toy Story Pixar? Yeah. Toy Story, then. I'll take Finding Nemo. It's close. It's so close. It's so close. And I know I'm unpopular, but I 
I think Finding Nemo changed the game, man. It's Toy Story, man. Chris Gatchel says, hey, guys, I was at the Vegas Wings game Thursday, and man, oh, man, they are just as bad in person. <laughs> I'm glad Larkin played, though. Otherwise, it wouldn't even have been worth it. Anyway, I did notice how awful they are receiving passes. It seems no one on the team can catch a pass. Uh, Advocator can catch them with his feet, so I don't know what you're talking about. Also, I still firmly believe Marner is a better overall player than Matthews. Marner deserves more. That's all for now. Thanks, as always, for the show. That's a hot take. You're not alone on thinking that. I don't agree. Farthest down that argument path I will go is he is equivalent. I don't agree, but I, I will hear that argument better. I think you give it a few more years and you see how everything plays out and you might like it it'll the distinction will become a little bit more apparent. Joe Caboose one one nine Z Falzone says, Does it seem to you that the wings are in better position as sellers than they were a week ago giving the struggling teams surges? Yes. Okay, here's here's my hottest of takes. Not really a hot take, but there's been one team I've been paying close attention to waiting for their goaltending situation to just go tits up, and it's starting to. Calgary. Because it makes sense. Detroit's not going to want to bring Rebar or Sa- uh, Satri up for the rest of the season. Well, isn't it convenient that Mike Smith's contract expires this season? So we could easily take his salary back, not have to eat any of Jimmy's cap hit, get full value in return, probably get even a little extra for taking Smith back in return on them. And now all of a sudden, Calgary doesn't have to rely on a now terrible Mike Smith and a uh, young, unreliable David Riddick, who who was hot for most of the year, but his last few games have uh, not been great. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some doubt sinking in to Calgary's mind. Also, another spot that a landing spot I've seen come up for Jimmy Howard time after time. Time after time. Sorry. I thought you were going to keep going. I was ready. <laughs> Columbus. Okay. They can jettison off Bobrovsky, get a return on him, and then take said return and flip it over to Detroit for Jimmy Howard. Then they have a goalie who might actually be invested in them winning. And they'll probably get a bigger return for Bobrovsky than they'll have to give up for Jimmy. So it's a net gain for them still. Cousins or Doc? This is the second question. Doc. Uh, Advanced Water says, how friendly are the players with each other, both on the same and different teams? I'm sure it varies from player to player, but just a general sense. Um, I think there's a lot more camaraderie for people in the same profession than people will realize, but it's also not, it's, it's a spectrum. Players are like there yeah. are those feuds where players will hate each other and will do stupid things just because they hate them as a person. Yeah, yeah, like and, and pretty much Ryan Kessler and anyone in the NHL. And then you have um, times where the player will literally be sitting there asking the dude next to him on the face off, "Hey, how's the wife and kids? You know, haven't seen them in a while." Yada yada. They're they're totally friendly with each other. Yeah. If you ever want a really good laugh, um, there's a video I want to say from last season or the season before, LA against Ottawa uh, when three on three overtime is about to start. Oh, yeah, yeah, And it was Dustin Brown and uh, Drew Doughty talking about who's going to cover Carlson. And Carlson, like, was kind of eavesdropping in the conversation. And Dustin Brown's like, I don't want to. You cover him. Yeah. He starts laughing and Carlson starts laughing and they're having a good old time. I remember one where they were making dinner plans, like legitimately talking about their dinner reservation. Oh, jeez. Yeah, at the face-off. Uh, Kaylin Wood says, a little late on this, but man, is it satisfying seeing Steve Dangle all kinds of shook after a loss to Detroit. I know the Leafs are a better team and we have no room to brag, but those wins always seem like two for one. It genuinely is a two for one win. Mm-hmm. Uh, what team do you hate to lose to more than any other? 
It doesn't have to be a rival or anything. Just in your guts, who do you hate seeing the Wings get down by? Chicago. Uh, it's tied between Chicago and so Toronto. So to me, this that to me this answer is based on who has the most obnoxious fan base. Boston. Hmm. This isn't up for debate. Toronto fans are annoying because there's a million of them. Boston sports fans are the worst. Um, the worst, Ryan. And then he says, also, Ryan, Apex Legends, eh? Oh, boy, finally a BR, a battle royale I can get into. Cheer, cheers, boys. Thanks for all the hard work. Oh, my God, I love that game. If you have not tried it, Apex Legends is phenomenal. I am addicted it is I like I really enjoyed Fortnite. Like I liked playing it a lot when it came out and I like playing it casually with my friends. I have not touched it since Apex Legends came out. It is honestly near perfect. I'm so in love with that game. Good on Respawn and honestly EA for for putting out that game. Like I cannot wait just to go home and play it. Now that you mentioned it, here is the Fortnite themed jerseys the Sarnia Sting wore today in their game against the Kitchener Rangers. That's eh, good for the kids. And they got shut out. <laughs> uh, Warm Chord Music says with the uh, production Nyquist is putting out this year, I'm both concerned and excited. Excited that it increases his it increases his trade value and makes it more likely we can demand a first rounder or high end prospect. Concerned that Holland will overvalue him and be too stubborn to trade him and then re-sign him to a dumb deal. I'm okay with him staying, but like the abdicator abdicator deal, he hasn't Hold really on, stop before you continue. You're concerned that at the same time we don't know if Holland's gonna overvalue him and re-sign him for too much, or we might actually get the trade. So is this Schrodinger's goose? No, no, he's <laughs> he's concerned that Holland won't uh He's excited about the trade, concerned that the trade won't happen. So, we're looking at the goose in the box that may or may not be traded. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's goose. I think you're almost there. I think, you're, I think you got the right idea, Brad. We're, we're close. Um, I'm okay with him staying, but like the abdicator deal, he hasn't really produced much until his contract year. I See, I'm going to disagree there. He's I, always produced. His PD, PDO was historically low last year for him. Um, so, which Nyquist would we get on a new multi-year contract? The improved version... Uh, that has good chemistry with Larkin or the previous few years version. Either is fine. Always split the difference. Uh, what are your thoughts as to his trade value to a contending team considering skills, contract production? Um, Nyquist is the first round value, at least. With no kicker. With no kicker. Or second, and you you spice it up for Detroit. Give him a, a decent prospect at an area of need. So again, let's just use Toronto as an example. Even though Toronto's already given up their first-round pick, it's just they're the one that comes to my head. Their first-round pick, which is probably going to be like pick 25 to 30, or a second-round pick, which is probably going to be pick 55 to 60, plus Brocco. Something like that, right? Like, we're going to give you one really good shot at getting an asset here, or two pretty good shots at an asset here. Uh, Jeremiah Tesno says, Afternoon, ladies. I was thinking that if we end up falling out of the top six or seven for the draft, what do you think the chances of going after goalie Spencer Knight? I know we have three different d- decent prospects at goal, but is he good enough to take a risk? Not to surpass our need for a center. Not in the top ten, no. Yeah. Goaltending is not um, an overly big concern in Detroit system at the moment between Larson and Petruzzelli and Ben Paddleberga and Elias and you only need one of them to pan out. We have time for a few Reddit questions. We will 
probably take fewer today just because of Brad's mouth. Again, it's a really gross thing to say. Jake Nagy19 says, if you could offer sheet one player this summer, who would it be? Point, Marner, or Aho? Well, if we're giving up a shit ton of first-round picks anyway, I'm going for the best player, and that's Marner. Yeah. Um, we've had a good history of starting goalies. This is from Coltron57. He says, we've had a good history of starting goalies in recent years, but who's your favorite backup? Always been a huge fan of many, many legacy. Also, Ryan, outside of the wings and U of M athletics, I don't know if we could be any more opposite in our fandoms. Liverpool and Ever- Everton, and now you dropped your Nadal fandom on us. Go Djokovic. Oh, wow, you're a Djokovic fan. Yeah, that's... Uh, Djokovic? Djokovic. Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic. Yeah, I always say Djokovic. Sounds weird. <laughs> you sound weird. Legacy, I think, is the pick for me. I always... I don't know why, and I have no good reason for it, but I always had a soft spot for Jonas Gustafsson. All the talent just injured all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have a comment from OSBP. It says, sup, you dick faces. Evan, you soft punk. You used to be the freaking golden boy of the cast, and now you're like Ablocator. Overpaid for never showing up. Your game is all grit and no finesse. Also, just frick off. Made it to the United Center for the Hawks-Wings game, and we had tickets straight from the Wirtz family to work. Uh, hope he liked the Wings jersey sitting in those seats at and at his private bar. Wish I could have taken a dump on his desk, but he's the villain to me. Bill was a hero. He tried to keep the Hawks in the cellar and did so very well for years. <laughs> Anyways, I'll be trying to be more present in these threads. Perhaps you guys could text me when the thread goes up. I'm sure Brad with his family is more than willing to share his phone number with me. Hashtag not a psychopath. Eat one OSBP. I love this guy. Um, all right, let's take a couple more. Uh, Henlick Zetterbark, who is also uh, Green Spartan 12, uh, said, had the pleasure of seeing Zadina score in a wicked snipe last night. Yeah, the power play goal was sweet. He's a good shooter. And Heronic, how yeah. about that game where he scored the tying goal and the winning goal with less than two minutes to go in the game? Yeah, I dug that. Uh, also saw Heronic coming and defend him after a headshot. Recently got moved to first shift, so Griff's weekend definitely needs to happen next year. I got some sours and BA stouts waiting for you. Yeah, we'd really have to do it. Uh, Brad's been saying to be fair about five times an episode. I think he's just begging you guys to give him the letter caddy call out each time. I keep going for it. They're not picking up on it. I don't I don't engage with you, Brad. Don't engage is my rules of engagement with Brad. <laughs> Evan, if you're there, did you try a beer called Melvin 2x4 while in Jackson? If not, you missed out on one of the best IPAs in the world. Evan is not here. <laughs> Brad, pick, up a, pick a number between one, and I'm not going to give you the parameters because you're going to pick a number outside of it. 13. Nice. <laughs> you left it open-ended. Also, I think we had a, a couple Ask WWPs on Twitter. Oh, we did. Okay. Uh, and this is from Ando772. It says, in your opinion, compared with teams, other social medias, why is Detroit's social media team not engaging with fans? All of those seem to be. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if their Twitter account, account really does. Um, if they don't. Some teams put a priority on it. It depends on the person behind the account. Truly. This is also just, again, the Red Wings, in almost every sense of the word, are the most conservative organization in the NHL. Yeah, other other teams don't care if they piss off ten percent of their fan base if it means that the other ninety percent is going to continue to grow. I think Detroit lives in fear of the negative of everything, so they will not do anything creative if it means pissing off a small part of the population. Like, yeah. Uh, from Twitter, Cedo89 says, going to my first Red Wings game, and I'm from Australia, so any tips for my first time at the LCA? Try the food, walk the concourse. Oh, did I already read that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I already read that one. Idiot. Yeah, but I'm looking it up, and that's what Twitter's... Oh, things are... Twitter's aren't. algorithms are bad. Lonnie says, no, I've already read these. What's going on? 
I, want I know I had a notification come through today for one. So Woodson, too, says, if the Wings trade Howard, are there any Grand Rapids goalies ready for the NHL? Also, who's our top goalies prospect? Um, Rebar and Satchery could fill in in a pinch. They wouldn't be good. Satchery put up decent um, numbers with uh, Florida last year in his, I think, 10-game stint, whatever it was. So, yeah, sure, they could. Um, I think they're more likely to take a veteran goalie on a short-term contract back in return to help save cap, i.e. what we were talking about with Calgary and Mike Smith. And like I just mentioned, yeah, Detroit's got lots of goaltending prospects. Philip Larson's probably the best candidate right now. Uh, Jack says, what are your opinions on the possibly oversaturation of outdoor games currently? Agree that they're oversaturated. I also think they should still keep happening because Detroit needs to overmarket its players. This is a great way to do it, especially in non-traditional markets. They all they have to do is do less Chicago. That's yeah, it. stop giving them to Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Washington, and I'm I don't care. Like the next one, what's the one? They Dallas constantly Col- sell out. Dallas so. and Colorado, great. They've never done one in Dallas before. Sure, like hit those markets that have never been hit. It's still a joke that Minnesota hasn't had one. Joseph Fournier says, when you eat ravioli, do you dive right in and eat them whole, or do you cut them in half, regardless of their size, to inspect what's inside? Also, hot take: Tampa runs out of gas and loses in the second round. <laughs> Um, the first one I will cut open. The rest of them are. Yeah, right I was gonna say first few, you inspect, and then depending on the size after that, all bets are off. And also, don't talk about food. I am so damn hungry. <laughs> uh, Chris Nova says I'm a little fuzzy on what it would take for Rasmussen to help uh, the Griffins with a playoff push. Would he need Tri City to be eliminated from the playoffs, or does he need to find his way onto the AHL roster somehow? Be by their cutoff date. Uh, I think Tri-City has to be done before. Once Tri-City's done, though, he can play anywhere. Uh, and Zeebs says, what are your thoughts on the mid-tier UFAs like Dezingle? No. Detroit's issue isn't depth. They need to avoid mid-tier forwards like the plague in unrestricted phrases. So you're either swinging for the fences with a, a Mark Stone or an Artemi Panarin, or you're not signing a forward. Um you could make a case for signing a second pairing defenseman like Tyler Myers because that's a bigger need for Detroit. But no, yeah, I'm avoiding the second tier forward market. Like I'm dropping it like it's hot, dropping them like it's hot. And and with that, I'm going to take away your your liberty to talk. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for everyone uh, for everyone who supports the show. That's it for this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our patrons, uh, our name level sponsors: Sean Levine, Chad Hiersack, Sky Carcass, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Langabeer, Derek Shippert, Kaylin Wood, Charlie Elkins, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Dan Bell, Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much. If you want to continue to support the show, everyone, uh, subscribe however you get your podcast. Tell your friends about it. Tweet at Winged Wheel Pod. Follow us. Uh, go to our bio. Follow our individual accounts. We love engaging with you guys. Um, just do your thing. Talk hockey. That's what we love to do. We'll see you in the middle of the week. We're going to try and find Evan. Brad, you're in pain. Yes. Yes.